0: Okay, tremendous. Oh well, welcome everybody to this Scottish Parliamentary podcast. <laughs> I am uh, Dr. Andrew Tickell, I'm a senior lecturer in law at Glasgow Caledonian University, and we'll be doing a fairly gentle interview with <laughs> our uh, fairly gentle depends how it goes um, discussion of of some of the main themes, I suppose, which emerge from this report in terms of. Consistency, transparency, accountability, but I suppose we can begin by talking about the issue of consensus, that if you found out that the Scottish Parliament was publishing a report about the impact of Brexit, and we were told that the convener of the committee was a member of the SNP and the deputy convener was a member of the Conservative Party. I don't think many people would assume that this would be a consensus report produced by you and your colleagues. So I wonder, Claire, maybe we'll begin with you. Can you talk about about why is this a consensus report on such a controversial series of issues?
1: Well, I think it's, um, it's, it's down to the members of the committee more than anything and the approach that the members of the committee take. We're all quite experienced parliamentarians, most of us on the committee, and that role of leaving your party political hat at the door when you're doing a committee report or doing any sort of legislative um, development and and inquiry is really important, a really important principle. And I think all of us also value uh, principles of democracy and um, certainly... um, support the devolution settlement and we might have different constitutional futures in mind but nonetheless we're all there to um represent our constituents and any concerns that have been raised i think are are around um, how um the stakeholders and our constituents and people in scotland that we represent might be impacted if we don't sort out some of these issues
0: Mm -hmm. donald do you agree with that i mean obviously confusing views but
2: yep I mean competing views and and you know, we, we there have been times uh, in this session of the Parliament where as a committee we haven't managed to come to a uh, consensual view, but they are very rare. Um for instance we did we did as a committee um, come to the view that the Sewell Convention was under strain, which um I think was was quite remarkable really. But um I think as Claire says, a lot of the, the politics of this is left at the door and as we've discussed today, and as, P, as has come out in the course of the breakout groups, there is a there is a very serious question about the Parliament here, mm-hmm. which is it you know what is its role? How can it scrutinise uh, what's happening, particularly in a kind of post-Brexit landscape? Um, and I think that's that that drives most of us. And I think there there are you know we want the Scottish Parliament to be an effective uh, legislature that can scrutinise legislation. Um, and hold ministers to account. And I think that comes through a lot in this report, but it also comes through in the kind of uh, sort of consensual way we've approached matters. Mm. Do you recognize that, Claire? Do you think, I mean, is it really the parliamentary identity? What, you make
0: sure different political affiliations, but you're all members of the parliament holding the Scottish Government to account. Do you think that's what really glued you together? Around?
1: Oh, yeah, yes, this is my third term as a parliament and I've been a committee convener throughout last term and this term. And uh, all of the committees have been different but nonetheless um i've always managed to um work well with committee members on 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 that point of principle that um you know I, parliamentary democracy is a really precious thing and that we're all there to um protect those principles and to try and deliver effective and workable law and to um and to protect the the will of the Scottish people in, the, in their vote to establish the Parliament in the first place.
0: Mm. So, Donald, in terms of that consensus, why, why, why do you think that, that issue of parliamentary accountability was something you were able to come around here? What's the main problems you think the report identifies with where we are at the moment?
2: So I, I think there are a number, a number of problems. I think one of the things that, and again, it's come up today, is there is, a, a, you know, the, these are highly complex technical areas of law uh, and policy making. But in addition, I think there is um, there is a sense that this is you know we are we are you know, these are new avenues that, that are being um, explored and a you know, lot of it you know devolution has lo- looks very different now than it did in 1998 and one of the things I've enjoyed about today has been hearing experiences of people who were involved uh, sort of more at the start of of, of devolution and reflecting on um, how how matters have changed. Um, but I think you know these are these are very difficult questions. Um, there is a lot, There is a we've spoken a lot about grey areas, um, and there are a lot of grey areas <laughs> uh, in in much of this. Um, and I, I think we could all benefit with with greater clarity about about a lot of the uh, you know n- not only from a parliamentary level or a legislative level, but just just in terms of explaining and trying to convey that the what is very technical but important mm-hmm. to, to the sort of wider public.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you were both elected in 2016 for the first time. Is that right? If I given it yeah. strips you of a twi- parliamentary term? Or <laughs> <Yes. laughs> well, really, even though... 2011. Longer. 2011. I was a
1: regional MSP and this ah. my second term as constituency MSP. So
0: you both got a decent range of experience under your belts about how devolution works. I wonder, do you think, Claire, do people understand devolution about what's in and what's out, do you think, in terms of the ordinary person on the Scottish street?
1: M- not a great deal. Um, it depends on on their their role um, in society um, I think we have a real issue with um, a lot of the social security benefits at the moment you know people get very confused about what Scottish government what's UK government um, if people have a, an avid interest in a particular area they, they tend to understand that that element of devolution very well um, but I think uh, it has grown over time, and I think people recognise and value the Scottish Parliament and know that it it does deliver um, important legislative areas to um, uh, wider society. So I think that it, there is a little bit um, our education programme within the parliament I would think is an exemplar of something that's very very good in Mm -hmm. terms of getting young people involved in in politics and explaining to them the process Um, we also have um, quite an educated uh, young young people coming through because of the the Scottish Youth Parliament Mm -hmm. and I think all of that has helped to um, you know widen the understanding Mm -hmm. but for most people in their daily lives unless something really impacts on them do they really care? Not probably not. They just want to go on with daily life.
0: <laughs> but you described it, Donald, as being grey in the sense of that. Is that different from, from even when you started or your awareness of devolution from
2: 1999 onwards? Do you think, is the complexity new? I, I think it's, it, it, well, it's, it's funny, going back to the question you asked Claire, it's a really good question, interesting question, and one that has changed. For instance, I think one of the results of COVID is that there is now, I think, no doubt that Scottish <laughs> Government... Is responsible for the health service in scotland um whereas i think there was doubt actually and if people you know i think of the polling showed that a lot of people prior to the pandemic still were not entirely clear about about where responsibility lies and i think i think actually one of the things that's changed since i've been in msp since 2016 is is that there is a greater awareness of what is devolved and what is reserved um uh, and i think that that is very helpful uh, but I, t- I suppose the grey areas that I was referring to are more technical and more more about the you know the issues that we've been discussing t- today about Sewell, about um, common frameworks and about um, uh, UK Internal Market Act. Uh, all, all these issues I think are, are you know are, are really new and novel and difficult. And we, as a committee, see our role as a kind of overarching role, um, and that subject committees you know will will, will take more of an interest in. You know, cultural policy or um you know environmental policy etc but but what we are trying to do i think with the help of the parliament mm-hmm. is 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 bring a greater understanding and try to um i suppose delineate the, the you know the various aspects what, what we think are important mm-hmm. so that's one of the one of the uh, ambitions of this report i think was to try and set out uh where we see the tensions are particularly what are the priorities for us given that kind of sort of supervisory mm. sort of
0: um, so, so there are new gray areas I suppose We yeah, I so think the devolution yeah. has got if anything even even more complicated in how it works
2: I, I think without doubt and I think you know there has been a, you know, there have been there has been further devolution of powers from UK to um, to, to the Scottish Parliament in, in in the course of the last 10 15 years and I think brexit has also provided a huge amount of complexity to mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because increasingly, I think if you're trying to act as a political actor, or a campaigner, a business who wants to know what the status of the law is on any given topic, a lot of people in the room today have been expressing that they don't know, often would like to know, and maybe we'll find out if they've got a problem or a dispute or something like that. Is that is that the best we can do, Claire, do you think, in terms of Parliament's role in educating the public?
1: I, th- I think there's um, specific areas where, where I would have concerns. Um, cap- Post EU, um, one of the big areas for me is product safety and um, the whole idea of online um, purchasing, uh, um, which does affect people in their daily lives. And that's something that you know we deliver in partnership with our local authority colleagues in trading standards. Um, And I I think areas like that, over time, will become much more important post EU. Um, But I think, um, as I say, unless it directly impacts on someone who day-to-day basis they don't really pay it that much attention and um, but perhaps there's a role for us to to maybe uh, show more of what we're doing that's in a really good area and That's not just our committee, that's our subject committees, Mm -hmm. who also produce excellent reports and work very, very hard in their areas. (coughs) And um, maybe maybe highlighting the reports themselves more to the general Mm -hmm. public would help Mm -hmm. in that understanding.
0: I'm always very suspicious of statements that no one can disagree with, as (laughs) I always think they are problematic. (laughs) And so no one is ever against uh, educating the public or greater transparency. But the problem is, how do you actually do it? Uh, in terms of this area, Donald, you framed it in this very, um, shall we say, unattractive sounding way. Who wants to listen at length about a legal technical series of things? That's stuff that makes the soul flee the body. Um, how do you do that? If you think that's an important thing to do,
2: then how? Um, it's, it's difficult. I mean, part, part of, I think, our remit is to... Um, travel the country. We've done a lot of visits, you know, we, we try and take evidence from, on, on our all, man, all manner of um, issues that come under our remit. But um, I, I think that it, it's hugely important to be seen to be uh, not just in Edinburgh, but, you know, we've done uh, over the course of the last year, we've been to Orkney, Dumfries, um, we've even been to Glasgow. Um, so it's it's uh, it's been, um, no, it's been a tremendous importance to us to, 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 uh, Make sure that we are canvassing opinion from as wide um, uh, a group of people as possible throughout Scotland. And I say that representing the Highlands and Islands, you know, being Mm. uh, you know representing a very rural, remote area, that's really important. And that gives us the opportunity to talk about the work that we're doing to a to to a wider group of people. And I think that's one way of doing it. Um, as well as what we, what we do in, at Hollywood itself. Mm, the people's interests aren't always the same yeah. in urban and uh, rural Scotland. Absolutely. absolutely. So in terms of, Claire,
0: one of the key findings of this report is, is really a demand for greater transparency from all of the governments that are involved in these intergovernmental relations. You want to open up what one participant described as the black box of how this works. Um, why is that important to open up the black box of how Scottish government, Welsh government, Northern Irish executive, if it comes back online, and the UK government, what, why is it important that we understand these relationships better?
1: Well, I, th- I think what, what the public want to see is politicians being responsive to, to their needs. And if the decision-making process is, is completely opaque, then there's very little understanding about how decisions are arrived at. Um, they would also want to understand the tensions and, and the good work as well that's been done behind closed doors to make things happen. In terms of transparency, I think um, from a parliamentary point of view and across across the UK, all the parliaments uh, had an expectation that they could hold ministers to to account uh, and they could investigate policy through um, standing committees at Westminster or our own parliamentary committees in Holyrood. Um, what is different post Brexit is the um, Things like the common frameworks, where there isn't an open door, there isn't a route in for direct scrutiny. Um, but these are really, really important to stakeholders. So there must be an understanding that, you know, the people who elect politicians to make the policy, but also um, rely on the civil service to deliver these issues, that that, that they, they have an understanding and have the ability to influence where appropriate that whole decision-making process. And, and I think that's where the big concern has come post-Brexit.
0: So actually the ability to, to shape it, you would say, is, is what's missing. Is that is that right, Donald? I mean, in the sense that if we have this behind-closed-doors conversations between, say, bilaterally, the Scottish Government and the UK Government, we end up with either a fait accompli, here is the common framework we've agreed and you've had no input into it, or alternatively, we couldn't agree a common framework and we're not going to tell you what we were talking about. Why is that a problem?
2: I I think you know the, the ultimate um issue is that these you know whether it's the common frameworks or the UK internal market, Act, they have a huge impact on on businesses, you know, up and down Scotland, up and down the UK. So it you know it's fundamentally important that we, you know, hear from stakeholders as, as we try and agree these things and not just business. I mean we've had a lot of um you know environmental groups in front of the committee, for instance, who uh have you know a lot of concerns about the kind of post-Brexit legislation. That might might affect their their area of interest um i mean it's i, I think um you know we, as a committee we are really um we feel it's hugely important that that point about stakeholders being engaged is is taken on board um and you know in the last parliament i remember doing um when i was on the health committee doing a, a an evidence session on um a common framework relating to i think it was food labeling or, or something like that and the um you know, no disrespect to the ministers or the civil servants involved, but we—it was—it was—we had to do it very quickly. And uh, I think we, we heard from one panel of stakeholders. You know, it's quite a niche technical area, but it was important. And I, I i felt personally that we didn't quite do it justice, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. Um, and I think that's—that's that's the challenge: is—is is being able to to hear from as many people as possible that might be affected, uh, resources are clearly a question, but it, it, you know th- there is so much of this. And as was said earlier, the scope of s- even the common frameworks process is is relatively limited. Um, so w- we need to hear from people and we, we need to hear from a very wide range of, of, of different stakeholders to ensure that we're doing our job properly. Because mm. I suppose
0: you don't know what you don't know until you find out. You don't,
2: you don't, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, and but legal complexity, again, thinking about ordinary ordinary people or people with interests, you know, one thing that always strikes me is the more legalistic and complex we make things, the harder it can be for ordinary people who have a cause or an agenda or an issue they want to bring. Is that an anxiety you have, Claire? Do you think legal complexity can raise access to justice issues in terms of these kind of cases?
1: Well, I think it's... it's. I mean, civil rights came up in the discussion that we were having, and I think if you take... Um, a civil rights approach to, to any legislation and any decision making then you've got to understand that part of that is uh, making it accessible so that people can understand what what's happening and what an influence that might have on, on um, their daily lives and and, and their work it, it, it's a challenge and as i said it's like well, well we've got the constitution remit within the committee uh, my other committee members all sit on other committees of the parliament that that, that will be doing this sort of if you like the nuts and bolts of what happens here and I think that they have a role as well in actually being able to explain to people you know what, what difference makes and it it, it means things like um, vapes is a, a, a brilliant example because everybody has a concern about you know single-use plastics the pollution the litter in the streets the health issues for young people so it's something that has coalesced everyone around what is uh you know a a product safety and and you know an issue that we can all come together on but covers a whole load of subject areas to get that out education uh not notwithstanding um So this is something that's come up across multiple committees. So having those tangible examples, I think, is really important.
0: But making it real for people in terms of that. And this is obviously quite a substantial report, which has got a lot of things in it in terms of the common framework. It's got Mm -hmm. the Internal Market Act, Sewell and all of those things. Uh, Donald, what would you say is probably the main or most significant finding of the committee's report from your point of view that you think would make a a positive difference?
2: So I think our our views on intergovernmental relations are really important because that sort of seems to underpin so much, actually, of... Of, of what um, what we talked about today, I think it, it's you know it's it's clearly um, there there are issues that need to, to be remedied, um, and I think just br- oh, briefly, what would you see are the key issues? Well, I, I think the ones that have been discussed today are around um, you know trying to trying to get the the UK government and the Scottish government um, to uh, communicate uh, better. Um, I think trying to understand that the new system of intergovernmental relations and how the you know the various levels of that um i, I, I think it you know, what's almost as important or certainly um very significant is the interparliamentary kind of surrounding mm. of intergovernmental relations and how we as a parliament going back to what we were discussing at the beginning, how we as a parliament um scrutinize and act with other legislatures around the UK. Uh, there is the Interparliamentary Forum that's been referred to. Uh, and But I think why,
0: why, why do you think that will be particularly positive to really have that parliamentary basis for
2: talking? Because I think it brings together different, you know, different legislatures who have different priorities. And, it, you know, it was quite interesting. I, I felt when we, when we, when I attended my first Interparliamentary Forum, that Claire and I just we'd just done a report. the committee' done a report on on um, UK internal market Act common framework. so we arrived sort of thinking that's all that and want to talk about. Mm-hmm. actually, the Welsh uh, uh, parliamentary representatives wanted to talk about um, leveling up funding, and you know we, it was really interesting because we, we hadn 't really sort of thought about that we had thought about it, but it wasn 't as a priority for us um, and so I think just bringing those different strands from across the United Kingdom of of interest and priority. And comparing notes, whatever it might be, uh, is is really really important.
0: Mm, so you think it's more about relationships and culture Absol- rather than law and rules and?
2: I think when it comes to interparliamentary parliamentary scrutiny, uh, yes, it is, and it's about it's about culture, and it's quite interesting that um, the Claire and I both sit on the PPA, which is the uh, uh, parliamentary assembly set up in the Trade and Cooperation Act. Which has representatives from the UK Parliament and representatives from the European Parliament, and has a kind of statutory underpinning. It's quite interesting that in twenty-five years of devolution, there isn't a similar <laughs> kind of arrangement or some kind of structure beyond the kind of in, informal interparliamentary forum uh, to also think about devolution mm-hmm. and and how it's how it's panning out.
0: So spread the word, spread the understanding to some extent. Um, What about yourself, Claire, you think in this report? What would you see as your main takeaway would make a big difference to these areas?
1: To me, it's it's about that, it's about principle, which isn't tangible to members of the public. Um, It's about the ability to have regulatory divergence within the UK market. Um, And I think for the tangible point of that is about what we might not have had this been in place, Previously, and when we're still in Europe, so I think of some of the the key policies that have been delivered, like the, the smoking ban, the um, minimum unit pricing, and alcohol single-use plastic ban. Ban. These are these are um, policies that I think most of the public really value, and and um, particularly from an environmental point of view, for young people, you know, the, the plastics use was was really important, and it's the thought that you couldn't have those. So we have to make regulatory divergence work going forward because those are the type of policies that are in danger of not happening going forward.
0: Mm, So in your case, it's more of a legalistic thing about we need to know what the Scottish Parliament can and can't do. That kind of issue is, you think, the most important. Okay, I think that's probably quite a good point for us to conclude this Scottish Parliamentary um, podcast. Thank you very much.